Well, welcome again, everybody, to Cuyahoga Valley Church, especially if you're a guest. We just hope that uh, today you feel warmly uh, accepted and encouraged today as you're with us. And if you're online, again, thanks for tuning in. Hope that you're encouraged and blessed as well today. Yeah, my wife, Rika, and I dated for four years. And then we had a one-year engagement on top of that before we got married. And uh, and I know that, that, that during those four years, we were kind of in that middle season. Because we weren't just dating, but we weren't engaged or married. So we're just kind of in this middle zone. And during that time in our, that middle realm there, uh, we got stuck. And I specifically got stuck because what I was trying to do as a young man was basically, hey, I had this great gal. I love being with her, but I also love being a young man and just hanging with my buddies and just being selfish and all those kinds of things. And uh, we hit a little rough patch when we got stuck. And in that rough patch, we actually broke up for a few days. And during that time of that breakup, it just really sent me to a place where I had a couple of realizations. The first one was this. I really do love this woman. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I don't want to lose her. And the second realization was this. Because of realization number one, I had to get busy. I I needed to be in business. And so I needed to grow up a bit, mature, and ask that girl to marry me and make a plan. And not just, you know, goof around anymore. And so here we are 21 years later, married, uh, marriage bliss, tough work, three precious kids, no regrets. And I noticed that I saw that same pattern in my relationship with Jesus. In the same way, like, you know, I came as a teenager to a place where I heard about God's love for me and I heard about Jesus dying on the cross for my forgiveness of sins. I heard about him raising from the grave to conquer death and sin and, and that I needed him in my life to go to heaven and to have this relationship with God. I'm like, I need that. And so I entered into this relationship with Jesus. And, and uh, I'm in the middle. We're all in the middle, right? Because we're, we're, we're not who we used to be, yet we're not quite exactly who God's making us. And this is a journey we're on spiritually that will never be done until this life is over and we're face-to-face with Christ. And so just being in this middle season with Jesus, there were times when I just got stuck. And I just, I wasn't growing much. I wasn't reading my Bible much. I wasn't praying much. I wasn't telling my friends about Jesus much. I wasn't living on mission much. And I just got stuck. And there were moments when I'd get stuck that I'd come to a place of having a couple realizations. One, I really do love Jesus. And I want all that he has for me. I want all that this relationship will bring my life uh, in in this uh, intimate connection with God. And second, if I really mean that, then I'm going to mean business, and I'm going to man up, and I'm going to you know, do what it takes to continue to grow in my relationship with Christ because I don't want to get stuck. We're all going to get stuck because we're all somewhere between who we were and who God's making us. Here's the thing. We don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to stay stuck. We want to avoid getting stuck in the middle because we're all going to be in the middle. We just want to be stuck there. And so as we open again the book of Genesis We're going to, again, look at this life of this man named Jacob today. And what I love about Genesis, as we've been talking about, is as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we're learning a lot about our roots, like who we are as a human race and where we came from. We're learning about the roots of God's uh, people, the Hebrew nation. We're learning about relationships. We're looking at some of the beautiful and some of the bonehead movements that some of the people of God made in Genesis and going, yeah, we're not going to do that. And that's not a good idea. And ooh, that's a good idea. And, we, and we're learning through our ancient ancestors how to navigate relationships by learning from their examples, both good and bad. And we're seeing God's hand of redemption. It seems like no matter what kind of mess people make, 
God can flip it and use it for his glory and for his purposes and for his kingdom. And so that's what we're seeing. And we're going to see that again in the life of Jacob today. And what I like about Jacob is as we look at Jacob, the man that we were introduced to last week by Pastor Rick, is he's not the man that he was when we saw him last week even. And yet he's not quite the man God is making him into, the man who's going to, as we see next week, change his name to the name of Israel. But today we're going to see Jacob, and, and he's on the spiritual journey, and he's in the middle. But he doesn't get stuck. And so I want to look at Jacob's life and learn, how can we avoid getting stuck by looking at Jacob being in the middle of his journey? And so I invite you right now to open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Uh, the range of verses that we're looking at today uh, are three chapters, Genesis 28, 29, and 30. We're going to zoom in and out at different points. My encouragement to you is go back uh, sometime after today and read all three chapters to get some of the juicy details because there's a lot in there, all right? Uh, but for today, we're going to zoom in and zoom out. And as we look at Jacob's life today, what I want to do is get three tips on how to avoid getting stuck in the middle, all right? And the first tip is this that we learned from the life of Jacob. To avoid getting stuck in the middle, you have to be motivated to move. You've got to be motivated to move. Uh, invite you to join me there. Genesis chapter 28, verses 1 through 4. Then Isaac, this is Jacob's father, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Pananaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of the sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now, if you weren't here last week, this is not making a lot of sense. You can look back, you know, chapter two and get some context. But basically what we're seeing is that Jacob is going to be making a move and he's motivated to do so. So what we talked about last week is we looked at the mess that Jacob made on the home front. And remember, here's this young man who swindled his brother, his older brother Esau, out of his birthright over a bowl of soup. All right, that was shady. That was just a shady thing to do. Then right after that, a little bit later, he tricks his blind uh, aging father out of the blessing that he was going to give the older brother. He was an imposter. He posed as Esau, um, fabricated this big thing with the help of his mom and pretended to be Esau and got the blessing. And so he's making a mess on the home front. And so as we see coming into this passage, Isaac, his father, has got to be irritated about that. Um, Esau, his brother, literally wants to kill him. Literally is like planning how he's going to kill his brother. That's not your common everyday family occurrence, you know? And then on top of that, mama is worrying about the brother killing the other brother. And so all the stuff kind of collides together and makes this recipe for, hey, this is a good time to move. <laughs> I'm motivated to move. And as you see his father come to him and talk to him about moving, you see really three strong motivators for Jacob to want to move. First, you have his parents speaking into his life. You know, mom and dad are saying, hey, look, <clears throat> there's not a lot of women around here that love the one true God. They have all these weird, funny, pagan beliefs. Don't, don't marry one of those people. Go off, find someone who knows and loves one true God from our family, from our heritage, marry one of them. And, and so you've got mom that's worried about, hey, your brother, by the way, is trying to kill you. Um, you know, why don't you go get married? So mom and dad are speaking into his life. And as they're speaking into his life, he's, he's realizing this is, this is a time to go. They're sending him away. 
The second motivator is his brother wants to kill him, and that will definitely make you want to leave town. And the third motivator is the mission that he has. Hey, why don't you go and get a wife? And he's like, so you want me to leave so I can find the love of my life? I like that idea. I'm going to check that box, you know? So he's motivated. It's time for a move. And so one of the reasons that we see Jacob not getting stuck in this middle time of his life is he's ready and motivated to make a move in his life. Now, question for you. When you're stuck, and if you're sitting here stuck today, spiritually, maybe emotionally, physically, mentally, but especially spiritually, are you motivated to move? Because what would have happened if Jacob would have stayed? You know what? He probably would have got overwhelmed by different, you know, circumstances. He probably would have had to dodge, you know, his brother many times to to preserve his life. It wouldn't have been good to stay still. It would have been better to move. And when you and I are stuck, we've got to be motivated to move. What people speak into your life that see things that you don't see. Because when we get stuck, we don't always see the things going on in our life. And we we need the outside observations of people that know the Lord and trust us and know us, that that are trustworthy people, to say, this is what I see, and here's what I see in your life. And have you ever considered this? And I'm praying for you this way. Who's speaking into your life when you get stuck? What circumstances are you trying to dodge or avoid, or do you need to distance yourself from when you're stuck, that you need to move from? I mean, for Jacob, it was his brother. He needed to get out of danger. But, but what are the circumstances or, or situations that are negative that maybe you need to distance yourself from and you feel motivated to move from those? Or maybe what are the positive? What, what, are, what are some of the opportunities that God's bringing you? What are some of the glorious doors that God has for you to open up and walk through that you need to be motivated to move to get to those? What is it going to take for you to be motivated to not get stuck? Because here's the reality. Sitting still isn't going to help you grow. And what I mean by that is, like, for example, I played paintball for a lot of years. Still love the game. Haven't played a lot of it lately. But when I played with my friends and we teamed up and played paintball, one of the rules is you don't just sit still in one spot. You don't start the game, to blow the whistle, and then you just take your marker and hide behind a tree and just, you know, shoot at people. That doesn't work for you, okay? Uh, a, a sitting duck is a dead duck. So, because if you stay in one spot, you're going to get flanked and guys are going to shoot at you and you're going to come out looking like a polka dot whatever, you know, when the game's over. Um, I remember my first trip to Cedar Point. Now, we have one of the best, uh, you know, ride parks around out here. I remember my first trip to Cedar Point as I was in the parking lot looking at the awesome, you know, skyline of all the rides. And I saw the tallest peak. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to ride that. And, of course, it was the dragster, right? That thing just whoosh, up and over. And I was like, yeah, I'm all in. I'll, I'll wait two hours for a 17-second ride, you know? And so rode that thing, loved it. I remember coming back through later, and I looked up. And there was the ride was stuck on the top. You guys ever seen that? There's people stuck on the top. I'm like, oh man, that's gotta be cool. What a view. I remember coming back around <laughs> a couple hours later, they were still stuck at the top. And I was thinking, okay, at that point, it's gotta be old and a little bit scary. I'm thinking about the poor person that like had to be coached to get on the ride in the first place. Now they're stuck on top of you know the universe, you know, at Cedar Point. I think about water. And if you look at a pool of water, and if it has no movement and it stays there for a long time, what happens? Nasty stuff starts to grow. Like, like staying still isn't good for growth. Now, what about be still and know that I'm God? Yeah, I'm not talking about that because when you look at that, be still, know I'm God, you're not being passive. You're praying. You're seeking God. You're not just sitting there. You're, you're, you're engaging with the Lord. I'm talking about just staying still and just seeing, ah, oh, we'll just see what happens. Jacob's not there. Jacob's motivated to move. He's on a journey. Because of that, he's not going to get stuck. If you're stuck here today, then something's got to stir in you to be motivated to move. 
Something's got to stir in you to go, what, what needs to change? What relationships do I need to distance myself from? What behaviors and hobbies and habits do I need to distance myself from? What opportunities am I missing out on because I'm not budging? You've got to be motivated to move if you want to avoid getting stuck in the middle. The second tip I think we can get from Jacob's life is to avoid getting stuck in the middle, you have to be meeting with God. You've got to be meeting with God. Look at Genesis chapter 28 with me. Genesis chapter 28. As we see Jacob continue in his journey, or to really launch into this journey, in 28 verse 10, look what we see here. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is not, there is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is a God moment for Jacob. He has a dramatic and defining God moment. He meets with God. And as Jacob meets with God, and although it's in the form of a dream this time, it's a very real and personal thing. And look what God does. He reaffirms the promise that he gave uh, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Because remember, if you studied the Abraham, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth uh, through you. Meaning that's a reference to the, the, the Messiah who's going to come through his lineage. And that promise got passed on to Isaac, Jacob's dad. And now Jacob's dad sends him off with a blessing, saying, I hope that happens for you. And here God personally meets with Jacob and says, the promise I gave your grandfather, the promise I gave your dad, I'm giving it to you. You're going to carry it. And this very ground that you're sleeping on, I'm going to bring you back here. And you and your descendants are going to live here. And as far as your eye can see and beyond, all your offspring are going to take this land. And God said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you. And this, this, was a, this was a powerful moment. And what it did is it did something in Jacob, because every time you and I meet with God, it does something in us. And this meeting with God did something in Jacob. And even though these promises were specific to Jacob, it was an encounter that changed his life. And you see here now, on the good side, what you see here is you see the spiritual enthusiasm welling up in Jacob. You see a spiritual sensitivity welling up. He's like, he's waking up. He's like, he's in awe. He's like, God's amazing. God's powerful. He was here. I didn't even know it. I mean, how many times in your life was God there and you didn't even know it? He showed you later. He opened your eyes and said, no, I'm here. You're not alone. Like some of you need to hear that today because stuff's going on in your life and you feel alone and God's brought you here to say, just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not there. I'm not going to leave you. I'm the God of the universe. I'm omnipresent, and whether you like it or not, I'm everywhere. <laughs> and that could be a really good, encouraging thing. It could be a little scary sometimes, too. And so what happens is he's having this moment, and he's, he's not alone. 
And you see the spiritual enthusiasm, the spiritual sensitivity. He gets up and he takes the rock that he was sleeping on and he, he puts it and puts oil on it and to commemorate, commemorate the place. Say, God was here. And you see the spiritual enthusiasm. That's all good. But here's the thing. Remember, Jacob's in the middle. He's not the man he once, you know, he's not the man that he was, and he's not the man that God is making him yet. So even though this is a beautiful moment, I still see that there's some things in here that need to be purged from Jacob. There's still some things here that, that, need, that need to grow out of him. Where do we see that? Continue down. Look at verse 18. Look, he's got all this enthusiasm. He's got all this going on in his heart because he met with God. Look what happened. Genesis 20 and 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Bethel means house of God. Bethel, house of God. Okay. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and I will, and will keep me in the way that I shall go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is beautiful. He's, he's continuing to be excited spiritually. He's enthusiastic spiritually. But as you start to break down the language and look at what's going on here, at first glance, it's all good. But then you need to back up and go, okay, this is a covenant. God is making a covenant, an agreement, a promise with Jacob. He's carrying forth the covenant from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And then in a covenant, the greater being sets the conditions. So therefore, in a divine covenant from God, God is going to be the one setting forth the conditions. When you look at this, who's setting the conditions? Jacob's setting the conditions. It's all enthusiastic. I don't think it's ill-intended, but look again at what Jacob's saying here. He's going, okay, if God will be with me and will keep me on this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear and that it will bring me back here in peace to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. You see what's happening is even in his enthusiasm, in his middleness, he's going, this is awesome. And here's God, if you do this and this and this and this, then we're good. In fact, this will be your house. This rock that I set up, it'll be your house. And all that you give me, I'm going to give you a tenth. Aren't you lucky, God? You know? And, and what we see is when you look at the life of Jacob, and I don't think it's that negative. I'm not being overcritical because this is a good thing for Jacob. There's movement here. This is good. But when you look back at Jacob's life, his name Jacob means, means heel grabber. It means usurper. It means he wants to be in charge. It means he wants to control. Guess who he's trying to do that with subconsciously right now? God. If you do these things, then, then I'm good. You'll be my Lord. And so when we're stuck or we're getting stuck, we got to look back and go, uh, it's time to meet with God. Because hands down, totally bold and brazen reality, one of the number one evidences that you and I are stuck is we don't meet with God. We don't meet our Bibles. We don't pray. That's we're shooting up a wish list of some sort, you know. If we're not in the Word, and if and we're not in prayer, we're going to get stuck really quick. Now, some of you are sitting here stuck, and you've been stuck for days or weeks or months, and you know, you know that you haven't been in the Word, and you know that you haven't been in prayer. That, man, that, that happens to me all the time. It's like, man, if I know when I'm not in the Word, when I'm not in prayer, I'm going to get stuck. And so we have to be dedicated to meet with God. And it might not be some monstrosity dream like this. It's, you know, it's just, sometimes this is a little baby steps. It's just a few minutes here, a few minutes there. It's just being dedicated to getting that time. But when we meet with God, we can't pull a Jacob either. 
We don't want to pull a Jacob, and when we meet with God, start to say, God, now that we're meeting, I have a list of conditions that you need to meet for me to love you, follow you, believe you, worship you. We do that, don't we? Well, let's be real with ourselves. Okay, God, if you do such and such, then I will believe, then I will love, then I will follow, then I will fill in the blank. God, if you fill in this blank, then I'll fill in this blank. We've all done that. We're very self-focused beings. Jacob is a very self-centered man. He's less self-centered than he was, but some of the stuff's still being purged out of him. See, God doesn't exist to meet our conditions. God doesn't sit enthroned above the universe of all things created going, okay, give me the list so that I can make you happy. Just, just, just upload what you got so I can prove that I'm God. He doesn't exist to meet our conditions. We exist to meet his conditions. And his conditions are, I made you. I just want you to love me with all you got, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Just love me. My condition is you're holy and that you're sinless and that you're perfect. And you're going, uh, we can't do that. And God goes, I know. That's why I sent Jesus. That's why I sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. That's why Jesus rose from the grave, so that you can be covered by his blood, so that when I see you, you look sinless because you've got the blood of the sinless one upon you. And now you're holy, and now you're acceptable, and now and that, that's, that's that embracing of that. We exist to meet God's conditions. So when we meet with God, we've got to be, we've got to be faithful to that if we don't want to be stuck. If you like being stuck, close the Bible, put it on a shelf, don't touch it. If we want to be stuck, just turn off the prayers. Just, there's, a, there's a thousand other things we can be doing. Just that, that, that five, ten minutes of prayer, just scroll your Facebook feed longer, you know? Just watch, just watch you know, another half hour TV instead. There's other things we can do. But if you don't want to be stuck, and you've got to be motivated to meet with God. You've got to be motivated to move. And we see that Jacob is moving. The third tip. I think we can get from Jacob's life here as we look at it, is to avoid getting stuck in the middle, you have to be maturing along the journey. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And Jacob's on a journey. Now, we're going to see some interesting little bumps in the road in Jacob's journey here. This is where uh, the Bible gets a little PG-13 and other things, okay? Um, I'm going to basically summarize some of what happens in chapters 29 and 30. I, again, invite you to go back and look at some of the details. Some of them are pretty juicy. Um, here's what happens. As Jacob arises from this place that he's anointed as Bethel, he continues on. His mission, go find Laban and see what is in the daughter pool so I can find a wife. And on the way, he comes to a well. And there's some other guys hanging at the well, and he's hanging at the well, because that's where all young Hebrew guys hang out looking for, you know, future wives is at the well. Um, it's a joke. But, um, and along comes this gal named Rachel. And Rachel's bringing her father's animals to drink at the well. And as Jacob starts to talk to Rachel, he's, he's pretty intrigued by this gal. And when he finds out that she's the daughter of Laban, he's like, oh, that's a good thing. This is a win. You can see God's hand ordaining this. And so he meets Rachel at this well, and it's pretty much love at first sight. And when you read the details of that passage, he's very enthusiastic about this, this meeting. The other dudes at the well, he's pretty much saying, can you guys just like take off <laughs> so we can just hang out, you know, have a cup of coffee or 
water in this case because I'm at the well, and uh, we can visit. And so what happens is, you know, they, they chat it up for a little bit, and then she takes him home to meet dad, to meet Laban. And Laban warmly welcomes him in. And what happens is Jacob stays there for about a month, working, hanging out. And he, his intentions are known. And look what we see when we turn to Genesis 29. If you want to pick up the story a little bit here, Genesis 29, verse 15. 29, 15 through 20 says this. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah's eyes were weak. I'm just going to pause there. There's a couple of different interpretations of that. One is that weak means that there was just a plainness to her. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sparkle, not a lot of life. The other is she was weak on the eyes, meaning she wasn't exactly a looker, okay? Um, it's in the Hebrew. You can check it out. So <laughs> Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. This is like one of those true love romance stories in Bible. Love at first sight. God's ordaining it. Things are going good. Here's the thing. I mean, seven years. This guy is smitten. Some of you have a hard time waiting after seven texts. Seven dates, perhaps. This is seven years of work that this man's going to put in so that he can marry this woman that he loves. And so basically what happens, it's kind of crunching what happens after that, is they make this deal. Laban says, deal. Seven years you work for me, you can have Rachel, she's yours. And so what we see is Jacob starts working these seven years. At the end of seven years, he shows up to Laban. Hey, man, what's up? Here to pick up my wife, you know. She's pretty excited about this. And Laban's like, sounds good. And based on the culture at the time, what they would do is they would have a big wedding feast, you know? And then after the feast, uh, the, the groom would go to his home or the, the, the groom would take his wife to the home and they would have the wedding night. And so you have to totally remove yourself from Western American context right now. There, there aren't paved streets. There aren't street lights. There's not electricity. You've got darkness in the desert. You've got, you know, maybe the moon's out, maybe the sun, the, the tent's dark, whatever it is. And so they have the big feast. Jacob goes back to his tent. And Rachel comes in, spends the night, it's the wedding night, and when Jacob wakes up at the crack of dawn looks over, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And so this is one of those moments where if you were to draw Jacob in a cartoon fashion with a little bubble over his head, you could fill in a lot of things that were going through his mind at that moment. And so he made a beeline for Laban going, uh, slight problem, bro, you broke the deal. Seven years for Rachel, I woke up, you gave me Leah. To which Laban basically concocted this little thing. Well, see, here's the culture I forgot to tell you about for the last seven years. Um, I actually can't marry my, old, my, my youngest daughter off until I marry my older daughter off. So you had to marry the older daughter actually to get the younger. I, my, you know, minor, it's in the fine print. Forgot to tell you about that, you know? And so this is not a good situation. And you know, I'm sure that you know, uh, Jacob had many moments where he wanted to wring that man's neck. But here's what happened. Laban said, here's, here's what you can do. Just finish your wedding week, you know, with Leah. At the end of the week, if you promise to give me another seven years of labor, I'll give you Rachel too. And Jacob's like, done. <laughs> done. And so he finished that week with Leah and promised to work another seven years and fulfill that commitment. 
so that he could have Rachel. What does that have to do with maturity? I want you to think about, especially if you know Jacob, what's been happening in his life. Look at how his character is being built. Look how he's being tested. And it's not without fault or flaw. Come on, two wives? Seriously, bro. You know, you're asking for trouble if you marry more than one person. It's a breach of what God designed. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be beneficial. You know, and so it's, it's not good. And, and just when you think it's getting worse, it, it's, it's ramped up with even uh, more intensity because now what happens is now that he has the two wives, uh, these two sisters, and if you're a sister or a brother, you understand the sibling rivalry thing, but this is on a whole other level. Uh, there becomes some jealousy and some volatile situations because here's the obvious thing. Jacob loves Rachel, and Leah's like, eh, you know, because she just got thrown into the deal. Rachel can't bear children. Leah, on the other hand, is a baby-making machine, all right? She is producing children for Jacob. He's going, I love her, but she's, she's you know, multiplying the family. And Rachel sees Leah and goes, oh. And so I don't know if like, she reached up in the, like, the bookshelf in the tent, looked for like, you know, the diaries of Sarah or something like that. But she pulled this book out. Uh, you know, I'm joking. She didn't pull the book out. But she basically took one out of the page of Sarah going, well, if I can't have kids, my daddy gave me my servant Bilhah. I'll give my servant Bilhah to Jacob so we can have kids through her. Did you not look at Abraham and Sarah? Did you not see the whole Ishmael and Isaac scenario that like blew up? Like this isn't a good idea. This isn't going to be good. I don't care. She was, she was just, desperation will make you do crazy things, won't it? Man, when you set your eyes on something that you want so bad, you, you'll just about bend over backwards. You'll, you'll break all sorts of rules if you want it bad enough. And that's what she did. Well, then Leah, Leah hit, a, hit a dry spell. She wasn't able to have kids. So she goes, well... I've got a servant too. Let's keep the competition going. Zilpa, throw you in the mix. And so now you got poor innocent Jacob with four ladies producing a family. And so, yeah, he's, he's not who he was, but he's clearly not who God's making him to be yet. And all the mix, and all the stuff's happening. And then eventually Rachel has a child. And this crazy madness is all just churning up. I mean, look, look this, is the, this is the photo of the family tree that we just talked about here. You've got, you've got Isaac and Rebekah over there. And there, you know, you saw in Jacob, Jacob's circle in green. Then you've got Laban with Leah and Rachel. They're in the mix. Then you've got Bilhah and Zilpah. I'm like, I don't know what the parents were naming when they named her, those ladies. But anyways, um, and then you got all these kids coming from all the different people. And you're like, what is going on here? But then you look closer. And you look at the 12 names of those, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, isn't that just mind-blowing that in spite of this chaos and this mess and all these deviations from what you think God you know, wants, God's going, I can still use that. You, you can mess it up all you want. I'm still going to use it. And you start to see the development of the Hebrew nation. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. And I circle one in red on Leah's side because through the line of Leah, one of the sons was Judah, and if you follow the lineage of Judah, you see Judah goes all the way to Jesus Christ. And so this promise that God gave Abraham that was passed on to Isaac, that was passed on to Jacob, even though there was a lot of little chaos and knots and twists and talk about, you know, roller coaster rides, all that kind of stuff, God still uses it. But what does all that mean back to here about being stuck? Because there's still a maturing process. There's still a maturing in the journey that's taking place. Because despite all the stuff, what happens is Jacob comes to a place where he basically like, got this, man, he's been blessed. There's prosperity. Uh, business is going well. He's got this huge family now. And he comes to Laban and goes, man, I need to take off. Like, I've got this huge family now, and it's just time to go. I need to support my family, be on my own. He's probably thinking about the promise of God to get back to the land that God gave him. 
And so he comes to Laban to part ways and say, let's, let's part ways. And in this conversation, you hear a different Jacob. You see a different Jacob. He's matured. I mean, not only did he roll up his sleeves and actually worked for Laban about 20 years of just hard work. He didn't, he didn't jump ship. He didn't try to manipulate. He wasn't trying to be shady. He just worked hard. That was a different Jacob than we saw back here trying to trick people for their birthrights and blessings. And then on top of that, look at the conversation that we see develop between him and Laban. Look at Genesis 30.30. Genesis 30.30. He's trying to part ways. He sits down with Laban. And look what he says. He says, For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my, what's the word? Honesty. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come back to look into my wages with you. Everyone that's not speckled or spotted among the goats and black among the lambs that found with me shall be counted stolen. The same Jacob who tricked his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of soup, who was an imposter and stole the birthright dishonestly from his blind aging father, years later is a man who's working hard, who's, who's um, following up on his word, and is grown to such a point that he says, look, I'm just going to go through the flocks. I'm going to take, if you let me take every animal that has dots and stripes and is a misfit color, and those are mine, later if you come to me, if there's anything that doesn't fit, you know they're stolen. He is uh, putting out his honesty as evidence for his character change. Isn't that what you and I desire? And isn't that what you and I have experienced in Christ? That there was a time that who we were, Maybe we weren't that cheater and liar and manipulator. Maybe we were back here. But because we were motivated to move and because we met with God and because we were dedicated to mature along the journey, all of a sudden people look at characteristics in your life now that are there that weren't there before. Some of you have greater peace. Some of you have greater joy. Some of you have greater character because Jesus lives in you. You know what that is? That's maturing along the journey. And that's what we see here with Jacob is that he's matured along the journey. When you think about your life, if you were just to write down a list right now of the maturing that you've seen God bring into your life over the last weeks and months and years, what would be on that list? What would be things that God's done in you that just, they weren't there before? If you were to flip that paper over and then make a list of what still needs to be worked on, because again, Jacob's not who he was, but he's not exactly yet who God is fashioning him to be. He's in the middle, but he's not stuck. What are some things in your life that you want God to eliminate, to purge, to, to, to have you mature out of? And some of you are sitting here going, ah, oh, this is right where I'm at right now. I feel stuck. And some of you are like, I don't know if I'm stuck or not. I don't know if I'm immature spiritually or not. Let me just help you. I just want to rattle off some stuff here, maybe to help you out. If you feel distant from God today, you may be stuck. If you haven't shared your faith with someone in months, you may be stuck. 
If you're a follower of Christ and you've never walked across the street or driven across town or flew across the globe to serve others in the name of Christ, you're probably stuck. If you're dating or engaged to someone who doesn't love Jesus, you may be stuck. If you haven't opened your Bible in weeks or prayed in days, then you may be stuck. If you're repeating the same mistakes without any victory, then you may be stuck. If you aren't faithfully tithing to the Lord, you may be stuck. If you know hundreds of song lyrics but can't muster up one memorized Bible verse, you may be stuck. (laughs) If you care more about what people think about you than what God thinks about you, you may be stuck. If you keep asking God to bless your plans instead of asking God to help you live for his plans, you may be stuck. And if you're uncomfortable with anything I've just said and you're not happy with me right now, you may be stuck. (laughs) We're all in the middle. We're all going to get stuck. Hey, look, I've spent the last four weeks trying to crawl out of a dry spell myself. Now I've spent a few months just like not motivated to open my Bible, having to squeeze out prayers and weak energy. Dude, just because you work for a church doesn't mean that you don't get stuck. It doesn't mean you don't have dry spells. We all get stuck. We just don't have to stay there. We just don't have to stay there. You know, yesterday we had a beautiful day uh, watching over 30 people go public with their love for Christ through baptism. We were at Wallace Lake in Berea. It was a gorgeous day. I think about all those 30-plus faces and names, and they all have stories. Stories of being motivated by God to move in some way, shape, or form, meeting with God to, to come into a relationship with Christ, maturing in the journey, and this baptism was just a step of the maturing. But there's one story I want to share with you, just a touch about it, and it's a young woman named Lauren. I'm going to have her share it via video, and then afterwards I'm going to connect it to what we've talked about, and then we're going to wrap it up. But let's hear from Lauren right now. Well, from the start, I was blessed to have two godly parents who were firmly rooted in the Word of God, and uh, we've been coming to Cuyahoga Valley Church for 20-plus years, and uh, I was fortunate. My faith was definitely on the solid rock of Christ, uh, but I learned that faith without works is dead. Um, So I had gone off to college, and I was living really for myself and for the world. After college, when I was searching for a job, it was really that time where I was, again, just stuck in the middle, didn't know what to do next. That's really when I had a chance to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with my time that you've given me? Instead of um, asking the Lord to bless my plans, I had to have a perspective change and ask God to plan my blessings. In January 2010, When I finally sat down and said, okay, Lord, I'm all yours, you'll be my boss, and the Lord really used my time of just being in the middle, being unemployed, he used that unemployment as a blessing. Um, I was able, in the three years of unemployment, uh, to move back home with my parents, and I was getting involved in the church and volunteering and working the front desk and going on mission trips and, and really just trying to produce the fruit. So my identity now was a missionary, cleverly disguised as a babysitter, as a nanny, as a volunteer, uh, and eventually at my job now as, as a customer service rep. Through reading through the Bible, I started praying to the Lord, uh, give me boldness in my speech like the apostles to go out and, and talk about Jesus. 
And it's amazing when you're constantly in the Word, reading it every day, that the Lord answers your prayers. And this particular prayer, He answered the next day with a phone call from the church saying, Hey, Pastor Rick wants you to come talk at all the weekend services about your mission trips and about uh, being a missionary. So that just, just caught a fire for me that, wow, you know, I knew the Bible stories and I knew the word was true, but now it is living and active and I can physically see the answers directly from my prayers, which is, is just amazing. So today I am living heavenly minded and seeking to glorify God in all I do. And today I'm getting baptized out of obedience to Christ and to show the world that I am his and he is mine. Did you hear her, hear her describe her stuckness in a sense? Man, after college, I was living for myself, living for the world a little bit. Uh, unemployment, just hit the season. But then did you hear it? She was motivated to move. Okay, maybe I can't get a job right now, but I can serve. I don't have to sit still. Uh, hey, church, what do you need? I'll answer phones or do whatever. Oh, mission trip opportunities. Okay, what needs to be done in Cleveland? What needs to be done in the region? What can be done around the world? Just, just motivated to step up and... And just, just do something, change it up. Did you hear the meeting with God? She opened up her Bible. She just spent time in God's Word. And there was multiple times we talked about when I prayed, when I talked to the Lord, when I, when I asked the Lord, there was that meeting with God that stayed her heart and helped her grow. And then you just heard that maturity. Man, I used to be about my plans, but now I'm about God's plans. And, and uh, man, I just want to serve on mission. And, and the, the Lauren that was here is not the Lauren that was here. Even to the point of saying, I need to be baptized. It's been years, you know, that I had Christ in my life. I want to be baptized. Now, that's Lauren's story. That was Jacob's story. And that's a lot of our stories. So, Lauren, thank you for sharing your story with us. And thank you, CVC, for praying here. Thank you for serving here. Thank you for investing here. Because of that, lives like Lauren are changed. And lives are being changed through Lauren. That's because she's not stuck. And here's the thing. I'm going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck. She's going to get stuck. It's going to happen at times because we're in the middle. We just don't have to stay there because we're not who we used to be. And yet we're not quite exactly who God's making us yet. I hope that God has stirred in your heart today to be motivated to move, to meet with him regularly, and to be fiercely devoted to maturing on the journey. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for every man and woman and boy and girl in this room. Thank you for every age and stage represented in this group and those watching online. And God, I'm sure all of us, I know I can, I'm sure all of us can connect to what we see in Jacob's life, movement, difficult circumstances, joyful circumstances, messes that you still used for good a maturing process, God meeting with you. I just pray right now for all, all the folks in this room, all the ones watching the line that already know you as Savior. God, they, they, they place their faith and belief in you, but Lord, they feel stuck today. God, would you help get them out? Would you motivate them to move? Would you have someone speak into the life? Would, would you have them meet with you more regularly, Lord God? May they get into your word. 
May they hear your voice. May they talk to you. May they listen to you. God, would you let them just realize this is just part of the maturing process, ups and downs, ups and downs, highs and lows, as long as we're moving forward. As long as we're moving forward, God, we're not stuck. God, help them. God, pray right now for those people in this room that are listening, God, they realize that they're stuck, but not really in the middle, but more on the front end. (laughs) They're sitting here, and they don't have a relationship with you yet. They've never placed their faith in Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave. But right here, right now, they're motivated to move. Right here, right now, you're meeting with them, and you're, you're gripping their heart, and you're whispering into their ears that they need you. God, would you allow them to take that first step today? If that's you today, all you got to do is tell God what's on your heart. You say, God, I've made a mess of things. I don't have a relationship with you, but I want one. And I realize that you made that available through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave. I can be in relationship with you. I don't have to be stuck. I can have new life, and I want that right now. Come into my life. Help me to follow you. God, I thank you that you speak to us. Through your word, through your spirit. God, continue to do so so that we may grow. And God, take these gifts we're about to give. God, take them and multiply them so that more people can be motivated to move. More people can meet with you. More people can mature. More people can come to Christ. More lives can be changed. Thank you for the heart of the faithful here. God, we love you. And we worship you in Jesus' name. We all stand together. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed today to ask Christ into your life, a couple of different ways that you can take that next step, that you can be motivated to move to the next step. One is uh, you can take out that response card that's in your program and just mark that you made the decision for Christ today. Put it in the basket. We're going to follow up with you and just say, here's your next steps to grow. My stronger recommendation, make a face-to-face connect before you leave today. Go to the prayer cove, go to the information center, uh, come to one of our staff people and just say, hey, I prayed to receive Christ, or I didn't, but I want to. Can we talk? And we'd love to just share with you what your next steps are. Either way, we pray that God does that. So this week, in the weeks and months to come, be motivated to move, (laughs) meet with God, and be dedicated to maturing along the journey. Amen?